Okay, so Kara's assignment then led into the creation of this little book. And the book is actually really fantastic. It, it just is like gold nuggets there on the ground for you. Um, hundreds of hours of work just distilled into wonderful points um, about how, how to deal and cope with depression. Um, and we are going to basically follow the structure of the book through in, in our first eight weeks. So the first eight weeks we, we are going to cover the topics of uh, starting to, with tonight. Depression is real with real causes. And uh, Regina is going to share with us uh, in a little bit uh, with regards to the, the physiological changes that happen in our body when we're stressed and anxious. Uh, week two, you are not alone. And uh, as part of that, jammed into a hectic schedule, uh, Joan is going to share um, uh, from a GP's point of view of what helps are available to people who present with depression. So I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, week three, God is with you and he is good. Week four, I, I need help, that realisation. Uh, week five, overcoming guilt and shame. Week six, change is coming. It, in fact, it's happening. Week seven, God has a plan for you. Week eight, God wants to use you. And they are, they are the topics that the, the book covered and then we've thrown in week nine, which is recapping some of the, um, the applications from our nights together and how we continue to walk in a, in a way that is overcoming depression. Now, part of the reason why also we're doing uh, this course is because one of the results from the study was that only 16% of Christians gained their information about depression through the church. So it, it immediately occurred to me that there's just a, a, a bucket of information out there about depression, about mental illness, that is just all being driven by the world. Right? It's, it's coming through our schools, it's on TV, it's coming through all sorts of sources, and yet mostly the church is quiet about it. Um, so, so part of tonight is deliberately tackling that silence. And, and getting a, a godly, uh, scriptural understanding of, of mental illness and what we can do about it. So each week we're going to go through those passages. And if you don't know anything about depression and you don't even care to know anything about depression, there is going to be plenty for you to feast on in the next nine weeks because we're just going to be looking at some of the best and most beautiful, beloved passages of scripture that, that we know. So, um, in fact, some of the passages of Scripture I just chose because they're good. Right? They're hardly relevant to the topic whatsoever, but I just like them too much. So um, uh, I do just want to have a couple of disclaimers. Um, one is that we are not talking in this course about serious brain injuries. We're not talking about schizophrenia, for example. We're not talking about the rapid changes in, in brain that can happen through accidents and, and all sorts of things like that. And you only need to talk to people about experiences, say, with dementia or Alzheimer's, and you see that when the brain does weird stuff, it really does weird stuff, right? And this course isn't aimed at people um, with those really serious brain injuries. Um, we are talking about, if there is such a thing, common garden variety um, depression and, uh, to a lesser extent, an anxiety.
Um, I guess uh, when we talk about depression, immediately there are some elephants in the room. There are topics that we try to avoid, and we are going to try to tackle some of those as we uh, go throughout our time together. Some of the big ones are, is depression an illness? Is it a condition? Is it a spiritual condition or just an emotional condition? Um, these things, these questions get thrown around. Hopefully we're going to answer that this week. What about suicide? Um, it's a big topic that comes up with regards to depression, but we don't often talk about it. In fact, probably wisely, um, there is, um, in the media, there's sort of an absence of talking about it. Uh, that, um, uh, so we're going we're gonna to talk about that next week. Uh, a big one for Christians, is depression caused by a lack of faith? It's a, it's a topic that always comes up with Christians. And what came out through the, through the survey was that Christians don't really necessarily understand depression, but there is so much grace in, in the church body towards people who suffer from it. And we know, and so lots of answers were coming forward where people would say, I know some really godly people who have depression and I can't work out how that works. Right, how, how a really godly person could have depression. So we're, we're going to tackle that question about depression and faith. And then finally, what is depression's relationship with sin? So that's a, just another big topic out there, right? That some people might think that sin leads to this, down this track and, and that's a, an inevitable result and, um, and so we, we're going to speak about that particularly in week five. So the course is, is aimed at a progression, but we are all busy people. And except for me, none of you have to be here for the next nine weeks, um, eight weeks. Uh, so you can come and go um, as you please, but there'll be benefit by doing it all. Um, so a personal disclaimer from me. Um, I am used to, as is the way of Calvary Chapel, of expounding scripture inductively and just working our way through a scripture and just letting it speak for itself. And there is a tremendous blessing in that and there is a tremendous safety in that from the preacher's point of view. The scripture will speak and, and it does. This course is uncomfortable in the fact that I've started off with an aim, I've started off with an objective to talk about a certain focus, a certain point, being mental illness, and to bring together scriptures that to some extent fulfill what I want to say. Now, hopefully what I want to say is led by the Holy Spirit and a lot of study and prayer has gone into this, but you have to be mindful that I'm outside of my comfort zone in the way that I'm using scripture to some extent. It makes me nervous, um, and, uh, and so that's just something I want to therefore put before you. You check things out. It's a complex topic is another thing, right? Everyone has an opinion, and it is very complex. It's not straightforward. Different people's experiences of depression are very broad. Right. And 
it came through really clearly in the survey that some people like being spoken to a certain way, other people hate it. Um, some people find a gentle rebuke lovely, other people think, you're judging me, I'm out of here. Right, so it's complex. It's as complex as we are as people, right? So I'm aware of that. Also, there are experts, and some of those experts are in this room, which makes me further nervous. And I'm only an expert by virtue of the fact that I've walked with depression for 35 years. So that's my, my claim to fame. And, uh, and the fact that throughout that 35 years I've been studying Scripture and delighting myself in God and, and seeking Him over uh, my mental health. My testimony is, I guess, uh, it's as long as anyone's, but I grew up in a beautiful, loving family, um, an overachieving family, if anything. Um, I was average by a comparison with the rest of my family, and I guess you make comparisons when you're a kid with your siblings and with your parents, even. Uh, in my early teens, um, unfortunately, I came to the attention of uh, the proverbial co close family friend. Um, I suffered sexual abuse at his hands, and that had a progressive effect on me. So that's, uh, that is what might be the catalyst for, for depression in my life. Um, but God has been good. And I, it's probably a bad analogy, but I kept on thinking about a diabetic. A diabetic gets this crushing news that they can't eat certain foods or they can't overindulge in certain foods. And yet, hopefully, through the life of a diabetic, they have some fantastic meals, right? They enjoy food. And I have enjoyed life. I've enjoyed my family. I have tremendous joys, tremendous ups. Um, but I've suffered tremendous downs as well. And God has just been consistent through that, as he is, right? He's just faithful. So I've found myself serving God when I just could hardly get out of bed. And you look back and you go, well, how did God do that each and every day? And he's just remarkably good. And so that's my journey. I have given you the longer version on the final pages uh, there if you care to read it. Um, so uh, you know from that testimony that I am a lunatic and um, I'm as equally as strange as you all are. Now, the final thing I wanted to say is that uh, there's going to be opportunities to share through these weeks, and so I just wanted you to take the opportunity to share where uh, where you think it will be edifying to all of us or where you just need to share. Um, and for the rest of us uh, to just keep confidentiality in mind. We come along here um, of our own choosing, and so if... If we share things um, spontaneously, please keep it within this group. Um, don't share it outside. Uh, I'm different. I'm publicising myself. Um, so you can you can go home to your spouse and go, geez, I thought I was weird. Um, you should have heard what Chris said. So the purpose of this week's study is to um, consider the causes of depression um, and what it does to us physically. Um, and Regina's going to speak to us very shortly on that 
on that topic. Um, we want to uh, recognise the need for compassion and we're going to see some reasons why uh, we need to uh, be compassionate with each other rather than judging each other um, and even judging ourselves. We're going to see clearly that depression is, is real and it's caused by real causes, right? It has real causes. We're going to look at Psalm 143 and uh, we're probably going to do that in a more brief form than I had imagined. And, um, and finally, each week it's my commitment to try to finish the course by not only presenting the reality of depression as we see it in Scripture, but by finishing with the reality of joy as we see it in Scripture. Because for each ailment, there is a cure. Uh, there is healing in God. So we're going to do that. So without further ado, I would invite Regina, who's hiding down there, to speak to us about depression, how it comes about in our bodies and what it does. Yeah. Okay. Do you want yeah. me? Do you yeah. want to put that on here? Just. Uh, yeah. Oh. Pen. Up right. Right. Uh, Chris has asked me to talk to you a little bit about depression, and what I thought would be useful is to touch on. Um, Anxiety, a lot of people who comes for uh, treatment comes in for anxiety. And so how I'm going to link in how anxiety usually links into depression. And if you don't treat anxiety, you actually will get a lot more depressed and it will maintain your depression in the way your body works. So I'm going to start by saying that if you've been diagnosed with depression, you will have a series of at least two weeks of a number of... Um, signs uh, uh, symptoms and they are things like low mood feeling hopeless helpless easily overwhelmed uh, low stress tolerance sleep disturbances um, uh, constantly worrying unable to uh, there's a lot of symptoms and and not being able to and you're really angry all the time you're not tolerating stress these are some of the things that if you have a series of those over two weeks you have clinical depression. That's how they diagnose people. It's a series of symptoms for at least two weeks, and there's a diagnostic thing that will say it. And then there is different, um, like you have severe, moderate, mild, and you have things called dysthymia, which means a low-grade depression that um, you could get it because uh, there is pain, constant pain, like chronic pain, this sort of stuff. So uh, depression is a quite a debilitating illness. Once you develop depression, that you, you can't, people <coughs> come in where they can't get out of bed, they'll lie in bed all day, they have no energy, they lost appetite, and all the symptoms I've mentioned. So that's basically depression. Now, how does it link into anxiety and panic attacks? If you suffer from anxiety and panic attacks, you're most likely going to develop depression somewhere along the line if it's not controlled. The reason, the way that it works is the thing where you all have heard about the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. No, you haven't? No. So the <laughs> when someone says you activated your sympathetic nervous system, you're hyped up. When you get angry, you get very frustrated or stressed or 
you're in pain and you're stirred up, your sympathetic nervous system has been activated. So when you talk about parasympathetic nervous system, it is when you are actually really relaxed and really good. That's the opposite of the sympathetic nervous system. If you have trauma of any kind, you will have your sympathetic system uh, activated. And what happens is if you have those trauma and you can access those memory, your sympathetic nervous system with lots of subsequent traumas will stay quite activated the whole time. So you tend to be more prone to having things like uh, panic attacks or you'll be fine for a while and then something will trigger so you get another panic attacks and you're anxious all the time when it's developed a certain level. So I'm going to talk to you what they call stage 1 stress, stage 2 stress, and stage 3 stress. Stage 1 stress is just a name somebody put to something where stress is useful. We are created wonderfully. So what God has done is He has actually given us a way to cope with stress according to the way our body works. Stage 2 is when it goes out of hand, and stage 3 is when you've gone into exhaustion. So if I were to draw something here and say this is the, I'm going to mention some chemicals in your body and stuff. Now, those chemicals are not exhaustive. I'm only mentioning the one that is relevant to stress and depression. It produces a lot more than that, okay? So say if this is your corpus callosum, it's the thing that joins both your left hemisphere and your right hemisphere. And on top of you, you have the cortex, okay, so it's thinking part. Somebody once called the corpus callosum, and somewhere you have the thinker. In other words, the thinking comes in there first, and then you've got a decision-making somewhere there that allows you to decide where you stay. Then what happened was, underneath somewhere, is a thing called the hypothalamus, right? If you have anything that will stir you up, like anger, depression, uh, stress, fear, what happens is your hypothalamus is activated. And when it activates, it's actually doing what they call... Um, He's gone into a fight and fret, flight and flight and fight, fight response, or the other way around. What it is, it's gone into a, a survival thing that stirs you up to protect yourself, to survive. And what it does is it produces a hormone called CRH, and it would then stimulate another part of your brain called the pituitary gland to produce another hormone called um, ACTH. That would then go into a bloodstream and it goes into where, here's your kidneys. On top, sitting on your kidneys is the adrenal gland. It will stimulate you to produce, among other things, the ones that is relevant to us is adrenaline and cortisol. You have heard other people talk about how cortisol is actually a stress hormone. Well, it's meant to help you to stress. So what happened is because we're created to be, have something that will protect us, immediately when this triggers is interpreted as a threat, it will produce all this stuff to produce adrenaline and cortisol. A cortisol will make you more alert, it will get you tense, it will get you ready to fight or run away to save your life. Whereas cortisol is supposed to be a stress hormone, it helps you cope with stress. There's only, and then it will tell, you will feedback, once it got this, it will feedback to the hypothalamus and say, we've got what we need now, you can stop producing. 
there's a catch. The catch is we live in a world that is so full on. There's so much to do and there's so much stress and there's so much. To do. So what's happened is, say you were hurt very deeply by somebody and you're already hyped up in your nervous system. So what happens, any trigger at all through TV, through anywhere, it will stir you up and you keep producing and you keep stimulating this release of hormone that will continue to stimulate your adrenal glands and you end up with an awful lot of uh, adrenaline and cortisol in your system. When you have a lot of adrenaline in your system, you don't sleep because you're actually quite hyped. It's like taking speed. And, and so what happened, or lots of coffee or whatever that keeps you awake. And that's one of the signs. The sleep disturbance is one of the signs of depression. And the other thing with cortisol is um, when you have a lot of it, it actually affects a part of your brain called the hippocampus. And it actually kills some of the cells. So we are saying, oh, my memory is so poor. I'm depressed. My memory is so bad. I can't remember anything. Actually, it's got to do with the fact that when they do a lot of research from people with their uh, hippocampus in their brain, it's actually shrunk. When they get well from depression, it goes up. So that gives you an idea that while people are recovering from depression, it can take time because there's actually structural changes and stuff in your body and your brain, okay? And besides, PET scan that shows the difference and all that with depression. So what's happened is when you have a lot of these, it is quite serious to have a lot of cortisol over a period of time, even say bullying in the workplace for two months. At the end of two months, you have so much cortisol floating in your system that you actually is going into doing some problems with your brain, problems with your tummy, and there are ways of showing you, but you'll be brought to tears if I go into all the technical stuff, how it works. So I'm just going to just go in gradually, just to tell you roughly how it links into anxiety and depression. So if we say we go to cortisol again, there's something else that it does when you have a lot of cortisol, is that it goes and it actually affects your immunity. Now the immune system is quite a complex system, but one of the things that it does is quite, uh, we talk a lot about, which is quite, uh, this happens, is that it used to, have you heard of a blood, uh, white blood cells? Okay, that is one of the things where you have two types of cells. There's a T cell and there's a B cell. Okay, the way it works is a T cell, if you get a virus or a chemical that's not supposed to be entering your system, or you get a, a, a bacteria, whatever, it will come up. And that's why I'm saying God's created this for us. It will come out and gobble up the stuff. Then it kills it. And it kills it and, and, and your body will then send another type of cells to go out there and actually eat it up or get rid of it. Okay? But what happens is we have a lot of cortisol. It's known to kill your T cells. That's how you lose immunity. So people who are depressed get the flu and the cold and they're unwell all the time. It's because the immunity has been compromised to some level. Okay, so what happens is kill some of your kill some of your T cells. So if you have a trillion, you might only have another half of that. Okay, then what you do is when that goes down, these B cells that is also part of your immunity cells so to try and fight against it will actually compensate by going up. What a B cell does to it is that if there is something they think there's a virus there, the immune response will happen and will send the B cells over there. And the B cell will look at it as, oh, this one here, this germs or this virus has a, let's call it a, a, a round shape. It make a receptacle that fits it exactly. So it, and then it will attach it onto it and it's marking it for destruction so that the T cell that will be sent there to go destroy it problem is you have a reduced T cell. 
So you're, you're not going to be able to do as well as that. And the other things, antibodies, it's called antibodies, okay, that does. So it's really quite interesting. But basically, not having enough T cells will make you, you can catch the cold and the flu much easier. Simply because when people get depressed, they're forever falling sick. It's because there really is a reason to it. Okay, and another thing that happens is it actually the receptacles that it forms, you know, and what it does, it, it keeps. So the receptors are things that was was formed, and what it does with the cortisol is actually distorted. It makes a different shape. So if you've got a chemical that is uh, round, only round thing can go into the receptors. But the problem is the receptors is all distorted. The round ones can go in, but other ones can go in too. So you got chemicals that's bad for yourself can actually now enter into your body. So you actually have, like they think cancer is part of the ways it goes because cancer cells are killed when it goes in, but the cancer cells are not being killed because it actually has been, and they, they are linking it into cortisol, okay? So now, there are other things as well it does, and so you get an idea that uh, it's really important that you don't have an oversupply of cortisol over a long period of time, and so because otherwise you actually will develop depression, okay? Because the hippocampus is strong, and they think that's part of the cause. And what, and also because when your memories goes down, you get more distress. And more distress you are, you're maintaining it. So if your uh, depression is linked into grief and losing a lot of stuff, say somebody hurts you really badly, then that was okay. That works really well. You know, you get over it. You forgive the person. But because of the injury that you had, whether it's psychological or physical, you suddenly can't work for two years. You have a secondary injury and that is losses you are so angry all the time because you're so unfair and you're chasing all this justice stuff what happened is that will keep you in the the sympathetic system operating you keep that operating you will be producing this stuff that will then affect you with the cortisol and will have an effect on you so the idea is not only to forgive the original it's the idea of how to resolve the new losses you have for the last two years how to help yourself how to how, how to resolve that how to forgive that bit how to forgive yourself because you did you so stupid how to not get yourself all so hyped up because you activated by keep this on a parasympathetic now, when you talk about parasympathetic, you talk about relaxing your body. Now, that's easy because you can do relaxation, you do exercise, and you feel better, and this stuff. Relaxing your mind is a lot more complex because you've got to do both. Because for you, otherwise, I'm talking about when you're really distressed, seeking justice for what your losses, for example, will get you so stirred up, frustrated, angry, and those will set your sympathetic system activated. You will maintain it or you will set it. So you need to actually try and work out a way of actually reducing this. So forgiveness is a really good thing. God says what? We've got to forgive our enemies. He must know what he's talking about. And you know what? That you have to forgive. Not for the person, but for you. Because your system will operate on here if you do not forgive. So it's about forgiving for the now plus all the losses. Because every time you meet a loss, you'll be triggered to think how unfair this is. You've got to let go of that too. That's the sort of stuff that is very hard to deal with. Okay? So I've linked it in. So when I say relax your body and relax your mind, I'm talking about relaxing your mind is like, okay, it's, uh, 
Psalm 23, The Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. If you have gone through enormous pain because of somebody who did something wrong to you and you stupidly has complied or been complicit in it, and what's happened is that if you are worried about your future because most of the stuff that you have is all linked to survival, if you're losing your job because you can't work and it's survival, what you have to do is say, God, the Lord is my shepherd, I'm a sheep, I'm looked after. Okay, he leads me beside still waters, he feeds me. So what you do is the word of God is really powerful because it's the word of God. So it's about finding within in the word of God how you can become meditative, become part of you because it will take away a lot of this stuff that will help you. The aim is not to get stirred up. He says when you're angry, don't let the anger go down to the sun. So he's saying yes, anger is automatic, it will come out. Uh, yes, you're justified to be angry. But do not let it come, and you know, be, uh, don't let the sun go down. So, in other words, but don't hold on to it by tomorrow, because if you do, you're helping yourself stay in this state, which will then backfire on you. All right. So there are many, many, many things in scriptures that you can do that will solve your problem. And the thing is, if you trust him, you know he loves you and stuff like that. You don't have to worry about life. And depression is, you have no hope. One of the things, the symptoms is. Hopeless, helpless. So if you're going to say, okay, that's the symptoms. What is it that God has that will speak into that? I thought that would be something that you might want to know. Regina, a question. Can you take to see if you have got too much cortisol in your body? Can you what? Have a blood test where you cortisol? I, I don't know. I've never thought of it. Nobody really. I think the research is already that tough. These are like research based stuff. So I would say people have done research to check on that. But, but I think. Um, John, there is. There is? Okay. But I don't think anybody ever do that. Because after you've done it, what can you do? You know, they have to send them to the psychologist. Oh, there's one more thing I just want to mention, which I forget, okay? If, because depression is so complex, it's something that can be very easy and straightforward or it can be complex. The complexity comes in if it's trauma-related because when there's a trauma of any kind, you store your memory. Anything that's distressing is actually trauma. So what you do, you store your memory in a part of your mind that is actually non-verbal. So if you if you're actually trying to deal with that, if you have that sort of thing, you might have to get professional help and I will get trauma therapies. The reason is because if it's a non-verbal memory, you can't do talking therapy alone because it can't, it's death, you can't hear talks. But when you use the word of God, what happens is it goes transcend past talking therapy because the word of God goes to the heart. But when you do, so in other words, it's, it's very different even though it's talking therapy. Okay? But when you go into, to, uh, but if you got specific trauma, it is better for you to also, you go utilize some trauma therapy as well as doing this stuff in your faith and thing. Okay? Um, because that, that way you heal faster. Because trauma therapy is very quick healing if they can target it. So there are some people who just doesn't tolerate it. If you can, you heal much faster. But you still have to work on your losses. You still have to forgive. You still have to give up the stuff. You still have to, it's still like together. Is it making sense? Mm -hmm.
Yeah, it's not something that is one or the other. People have a magic wand and it comes happen. What else of time have magic wand that happen that within succession they're all well? But the problem is they're not that often. Many people has multiple layer stars, so which means that it's quite complex. You just got to weigh it out what is helpful. Okay, so we're just going to very quickly look at the reasons why um, people suffer from depression. So that was some of the physical causes. Now we'll just have a look at some of the reasons. And, and this came through on the survey really, really clearly. The, the statistics down here, you'll, you fast people will notice straight away they add up to more than 100%. And that's because people have multiple causes for their own depression or they, they have multiple reasons for thinking that they have depression. So illnesses or accidents, 24%. Abuse, bullying, conflict, friends and family, it, with friends or family, it's a really huge one. Isolation, loneliness, uh, stress, uh, medical genetic reasons, lots of people think that it's just purely in their genes. Uh, relationship breakdowns uh, is a big one. And death or loss of loved ones. These things really knock us about, right? They these are the big things in life that, that happen to us. Now, if you read some of the comments, and this is why you'll see that it's a privilege, <coughs> why do you suffer from depression? Because of extreme domestic violence. This fellow believes that they are over it now, but they still have the worry in their life of their younger brother and mum living with the man who did the domestic violence. Uh, mainly the consequences of a failed relationship and feeling rejected and unlovable. Perfectionism and anxiety, stress surrounding school, college, university has definitely contributed. I was sexually abused as a child. Uh, I have body images, relationships and family members, difficult relationships. Um, we get down to the bottom here, one last line. How do you lose two members of your family in one year and stay the same, right? It's real. Okay, so so whatever whatever we think about people who suffer from depression, we've just got to suspend our judgment, right? Real things are happening in people's lives that are really knocking them around. And I really appreciated um, Bob's sermon a couple of weeks ago. Because he's a professional athlete who's got his whole athletic career ahead of him and he gets knocked around by a physical problem that means he won't have that professional career. Now, my, my very first reaction to that was, oh, you poor thing, you can't run fast anymore, right? It is completely relative. Chris never had the choice of a professional career in sport, right? I don't know the disappointment that that is, right? I don't know what it is to be that good, to be on that trajectory, have my hopes and my dreams wrapped up in something and have it taken away. Now, I played lots of soccer. I absolutely loved it. When I wrecked my ankle and I had surgery and I could no longer play soccer anymore, it was disappointing, but it wasn't crushing because I'm built different. I'm... I'm yeah, I'm crushed by stuff that Bob flicks off as, you know, dust on his shoulder. Um, so we're all different. It's
it is all relative. And valid. <laughs> and valid. And valid, exactly right. Yes, that's exactly my point. Right? These, these things that came through in the study align absolutely um, with Beyond Blue and other organisations that do these statistics. The only thing that really didn't come through in these studies that went to Christians was substance abuse. Right? Substance abuse leads to depression um, in, in a big way out in our community. Um, it doesn't so much happen or at least get reported inside the church. So it's probably there and I'm not looking at anyone here with regards to substance abuse. Um, I just want to say that I'm, so I'm not looking at anyone here. I'm looking at a mirror, okay, and I'm seeing myself. Um, with regards to judgment, some people just don't understand. You know, recent, uh, a few years back, my dad and I were having a real heart-to-heart -heart and he was, and we were talking about depression and I, and, and I said, oh, you know, I was explaining and, and he just said, I don't understand. And I just praised God. Hallelujah! He doesn't understand. This, this isn't part of his experience. He has no problems getting up in the morning. The alarm goes off, out of bed and on with the day. I'm going, oh, God, why didn't you take me overnight? You know, you know so, right? So it's fantastic that people don't understand in that sense of the word. If the lack of understanding turns to judgment, it's not good. But people who don't get it, praise God for those people. Right? It, it's, it's a fantastic um, piece of uh, uh, ignorance to have. Um, so we're going to uh, we're going to dive into uh, uh, Psalm 143, and and I just wanted to set the preface as you as you turn to Psalm 143 that that the Bible is not silent on real life issues, right? It's not silent on the nature of our fallen humanity, and it's not silent on the fact that some of the people who we just adore as saints have suffered. Right? And, and I love the Bible for its honesty. It doesn't whitewash the heroes of the Bible, right? And so we're going to be, we're going to be looking at, at David in this psalm. Now, what do we know about King David? He was as flawed as the rest of us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. So David's the youngest of eight brothers. He's a shepherd. His older brothers are out doing stuff that's useful. He's looking after the sheep. That's useful. It is useful. Exactly right, it is useful. And in that quiet time, in that time looking after those sheep, we see the meditations of David's heart through the Psalms. Right? We see his character in the Lord being formed. But being the youngest of eight isn't necessarily an easy place to be, I would imagine. I was the youngest of two and it wasn't that easy. Um, the youngest of eight must be a nightmare, right? So, so he's the youngest of eight. Then out of the blue, Samuel comes along and anoints him and says, you're going to be the king of Israel. Right? Israel had chosen a king, Saul, and it was the people's choice. It was the popular choice. It was the choice we would see on television, right? The handsome man who ends up killing himself years later um, because he couldn't live with himself. He had become so paranoid, so um, un-God-fearing um, that he was so distressed in his spirit that he ended up taking his own life, right, when things got really tough. 
But in between time, David has this great victory, right? Shortly after his anointing, he goes and, and battles Goliath. And what do we think about that? We, we hold that up as a really, that's a, a great moment in history of faith, and we rightly just admire what God was doing in that young man. What did it do? It put David in, probably isolated him from his own family for one, right? Because they were pretty um, jealous. He ends up in the court of Saul. Within a short while, he's running for his life. He has these great military victories. So even as a really young man, he must have been a profoundly good military leader. I mean, really blessed by God. So he has all of these victories. The king is getting more and more jealous. So this moment of mighty victory for Goliath, I wonder how often David looked back at that and went, oh, you know, if that had never happened. you know, <laughs> Praise God it did. Within a, so within a short while, David's running for his life from the king of Israel. And then we, we know the story. He, he, he stays on the run and then Saul dies and then David is made king of Israel. Sorry, king of Judah to start with. And about 10 years later, king of the whole kingdom. Um, but what was his life like during that time? Wars, battles, um, uh, adultery, um, uh, murder. Right, yeah, murder, his, his um, murdering um, Bathsheba's uh, husband, his own son raping his own daughter, then another son murdering the rapist, then that son, a conspiracy theory plot, hatches a plot against his own father to take over the kingdom. David's on the run again. Out into the wilderness again. Do you blame the man for having some dark moments? So far, my kids haven't killed each other. I thought it was going to happen a couple of times. Um, Just Sorry, darling. So, um, uh, so David's got some profound stresses and in, and, and in fact, just magnified so much. I don't know if you guys have been managers of people in any way, shape or form, but he's in charge of a country while his family's murdering each other and he's going to war to try to protect Israel. He's got this stuff going on personally and, and um, in the kingdom. So he has got some real reasons uh, to, to, be, um, to be downcast. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't know if David suffered from depression, and I don't think it really matters. I think what matters is, for us, is that David stood at the edge of the abyss and stared into it. He knows what being completely broken, completely smashed looks like. Right? He, he, he sympathises with us, right? And, and I think that's the important thing. It doesn't matter clinically what he was or wasn't. The important thing was that he knew what it was to stare into the pit. And we will see him use that language. So 100, uh, Psalm 143, um, would someone like to read that through for us? That would be just absolutely wonderful.
my prayer, Lord. Give ear to my supplications. In your faithfulness, answer me. And in your righteousness, do not enter into judgment with your servant. For in your sight, no one living is righteous. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in darkness. Like those who have been long, who have long been dead. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is distressed. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. I muse on the work of your hands. I spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you like a thirsty land. Selah. Answer me speedily, O Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, lest I be like those who go down into the pit. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk, for I lift up my soul to you. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. In you I take shelter. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. Revive me, O Lord, for your name's sake, for your righteousness' sake. Bring my soul out of trouble. In your mercy, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul, for I am your servant. Okay, so this psalm, and the reason why I bring it to you, because the point of tonight is understanding that depression is real and it has real causes. That's the that's the point of tonight. Now, we know the the uh, the the pattern of many of David's psalms. In fact, many of many psalms, not just David's, is a pouring out of the heart at the beginning and a praise at the end. Right? And it has that pattern just is over and over and over again. This psalm doesn't follow that pattern. There is no light at the end of the tunnel in this psalm. There's no sense of deliverance except a profound hope in God. Right? And, and so that's why I bring this psalm uh, to, to you today, tonight. That's right. Um, so it doesn't follow the normal pattern. And it's more desperate than most of the psalms that we read about. David is crying out, hear me, give ear, answer me. You know, he's, it's, it's more desperate than normal. And we don't really know the reasons for that, but it did make me think about the whole notion of disillusionment and the way it works in our lives. That we have these expectations of God as Christians. We have expectations of God, and if God doesn't come through in the way that we expect he will, in the time frame that we are hoping for, that can lead to disillusionment, can it not? Um, and so our expectations really need to be formed around Scripture. What God says he will do, what he doesn't say he will do. Um, so, so be careful of that element of disillusionment. So it happens when things just aren't going the way we hope that they will. It's, a, it's an internal system of expectation that's not coming through. And uh, w one of the great books, uh, uh, a really fantastic Christian friend of ours says, there's really only, there's been only two books in the whole world that are important, he used to say. 
a, a big tongue-in-cheek. He's a profound reader. He reads everything that comes into Kurong. He says, but there's only two books that are important, the Bible and Pilgrim's Progress. That's the only two books that are important. And he came to me one day and he said, I have to add a third, Disappointment with God by Philip Yancey. I was so disappointed I couldn't read it. But I, um, but anyway, I, um, I, I understand it's a really good book, so I commend it to you because a fantastic friend of mine commended it to me. Um, so, But the point is that God's plans just are not ours, right? He is so much bigger, so much wiser, so much better um, than we can possibly imagine that... Us trusting in him is a very important thing. And that when we have that moment where we're, when we're thinking or we're, out, we're starting to become disillusioned, this is the question. Do, will we trust him or will we get aggro because he's not doing what I want? I've been aggro for many years because of God not doing what I want. But what does David do with his anxiety as we just quickly go through this psalm? He appeals to God's faithfulness right right up front. In your faithfulness, answer me. And in your righteousness. So he doesn't, he doesn't do what we might be tempted to do in our prayers. Lord, I'm serving you. I'm doing my best. I'm really trying hard, Lord. You know, please answer my prayer. In fact, it's the opposite. He says, I need your righteousness and your faithfulness because I'm not the best creature as we're going to, as we're going to see. He, he, he knows that there's sin in his background and so, and so he's relying on God's uh, faithfulness and righteousness. Okay. So he asks that God do not enter into judgment with your, with your servant. For in your sight no one living is righteous. Now we know from, from Romans 3 that there is none good. No, not one. Right. So David asks for God's grace, which is an amazing thing. And he asks for God's grace at a time when there was no um, method known to them of how God's grace would work. Jesus hadn't been fully revealed to them. We look back and say, Jesus is the demonstration of God's grace to us and we trust in Jesus. Therefore, we know God's grace is real and true and we can rely on it. David didn't have that, but he knew the character of God enough to know that he could rely on God's grace. Which is just a really lovely thing, isn't it? And, and, a, and, a, and a beautiful position to be in when you know that God is uh, gracious to you. So Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So if Jesus has delivered us. He's shown us God's grace. So as we continue on through the psalm in verse 3 and 4, the enemy has persecuted my soul, crushed the, my life to the ground. He's made me dwell in darkness. If you've struggled with depression, you know these words really well. Like those who have long been dead. 
Therefore my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is distressed. And just going back to, to what Regina was saying, oppression takes its toll. If it, if it comes and it's fast and it's not lasting, that's one thing. If it continues and it keeps going and it keeps going, it, it starts to take its toll, doesn't it? We've, my workplace at the moment is a very interesting place to be. We're all a bunch of bananas, right? We've, we've been under stress for so long, work-wise, so busy, and then three months ago, our colleague found she had brain cancer. The team for three months has been just breaking. Right? It, it, they'll do interesting studies on it one day, but they have just been breaking. And if you watched it from outside, you would think tragic, funny, mad. Um, the, the changes of mood happen in a, in a flash. And she, she passed away two days ago. And the, the effect on the team is just continuing. And, 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 uh, and my boss said, you know, has been talking about getting some, um, some counselling help for the team. And I said, make it compulsory. Just do it. Bring it in. Make it compulsory. Don't let us choose. Right? Don't let us not turn up. Um, because you know how we all are. You know, we get given the phone number, but we never ring it. Um, so that was my, my counselling to her. We'll, we'll find out. But, but you just get this prolonged stress and then I, I don't subscribe to the, uh, to the superstitious thing that things happen in threes. That's not what I'm saying at all. But one isolated trial on its own, two, ouch, three, rattled, right? You get rattled. And so, uh, four and five, it can keep going. But but the point is here that these things do compile up, uh, upon us. They pile up and they get harder and harder to deal with. And, it, and David is right there. I'm dwelling in darkness. I've been crushed. My life has been crushed out of me, he's saying. Okay, so it's a battle, right? It's, it's a real fight. And we're going to see the nature of the fight in, in a couple of verses' time. So what terms does he use? He says, I'm being crushed, I'm dwelling in darkness, I'm being as dead, I'm overwhelmed, I'm distressed deeply. And the question for us is, what is our response? What, what is our response? And I throw it open to you. What are some of our responses when we feel like that? What can be some of our responses? Yep, with withdrawal, isolation. Any other responses? Anger. Yep, anger. Yep. I just call out and ask the Lord to help me. Yep. I'm miserable, Lord. Please help me. Please draw me out of this. And then I read the Bible, and often I'll get the help there. Absolutely. That's a beautiful response. Yeah. How would we do that? Some people drink. <laughs> some people eat. <laughs> some people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. Some people just get themselves so busy they 
Yep. Absolutely right. So I was walking walking back today uh, with one of the members of my team from a, a lunch, which was just mayhem, and then, and, and she was talking. She, she was talking about how her job's just changing in function. She's moving back to Melbourne, and her colleagues just died, and she just burst out crying in the middle of the street. But then she says, "No time, no time, no time. On, you know, you just I've got to, just got to do." I said, you've got to grieve, right? You've got to let yourself grieve and you've got to give yourself time to do that, um, you know, because it's otherwise it's just going to keep compiling and keep compiling and keep compiling. So numbness, uh, drinking, eating, guilty, guilty, um, uh, sleeping in, um, don't face the world, uh, lots, of, lots of ways we deal with, with stress and anxiety and things closing in on us. Uh, what about being just mean to the people we live with? Um, uh, it's just uh, it's something that's really occurred to me in recent times. I'm just giving you every thought that's on my mind ever so that um, uh, Regina said to me the other day that people only remember 15% of what they say. So so I figure if I say 200 things, you'll remember 30. Okay? So that, that's the way I work. Right? So we, we act the way we give ourselves uh, permission to act, right? And this is a this is a really important thing. Our families cop the worst of our behaviour. I think you would agree. I go to work and I treat everyone politely. I treat everyone well. I don't always treat my family politely and well, right? And that's because I give myself permission to treat them differently. I don't treat my colleagues like that because I need money. Okay, I'm cutting it right down to the bones, right? I need money, right? I'm not going to sacrifice that. But if I'm cruel to the people I live with, it just goes into a big pot of, yeah, hopefully it'll work out, right? But it doesn't. You know, it doesn't always work out. And um, they are, and they, they cop our, they cop the worst of us, right? So it's important we don't give ourselves just the permission to to um, function well 40 hours a week while we're at work and then come home and take out our depression or our stresses on our family. So what, is, what does David do about it? He does exactly what uh, Tanya was talking about. He, he remembers God and he meditates on God's works in verses 5 and 6. He thinks about it. He stirs over it. And, and he, he does... Do you recognise this one? Your prayer life dries up. I mean, at a time when you're so stressed and you're thinking the natural consequence for a Christian would be to pour out your heart more, maybe because of the disillusionment that you've already gone down that path a little bit, we stop coming to God. Maybe except to <laughs> give him an earful too of, of uh, what he should be doing in our lives and hasn't done yet. Um our prayer life can dry up, which is a, just a really counterintuitive thing. The God of our hope, um, we, we stop talking to. Um, David doesn't do that. He doubles down in prayer, right? And, and I, I love the beginning. I love it when Jesus explains the beginning and <laughs> the parable right at the beginning. You remember the persistent widow who kept on going to the judge in, right at the beginning of that, he said, he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Right? Keep praying and don't lose heart. 
David recognises his thirst. He is like a dry land needing water. Our country is a great metaphor for that at the moment. Right, we have a dry land, we need the Lord. And David knows he needs the Lord. So do we double down into prayer and into drawing close to God? Or do we give up? I'm a giver-upper. Right? I am by nature. Part of it, I remember my dad saying to me, like when I was seven, we had a running race down the street. And I wasn't going to win. My older brother is like lightning on two legs. My father is faster than me. So I stopped running. Like to me, it's just mindless. Why would I engage in this competition if I was just going to lose, right? And Dad was trying to explain to me that you've just got to keep going. You know, you've got to give it a go. And I'm just going, but no, why, why would I? And I still, I still remember his kind of exasperation. He couldn't kind of, because he's determined and my older brother's determined and, and against their determination, I was just not going to win, right? Do we double down or do we give up? Right? David doubles down. Now, I, I'm going to sound lots of times throughout the next eight weeks as being really unsympathetic. I'm being unsympathetic with me, right? I've had all of these emotions. So if I tell you don't give up, it's just because I've told myself a thousand times don't give up and I've given up 999. So so I'm I'm not being unsympathetic to you. In verse 7 he says, My spirit fails. And he says, Do not hide your face from me. Um, lest uh, I be like those who go down into the pit. Now, I just want to quickly say, do not hide your face from me. There's only one reason why God hides his face from us, and that is sin, mm-hmm. right? And and I don't believe that's an issue for the Christian. I believe that God keeps his face firmly upon us as his children, and he doesn't turn his face away from us. Um, but in an era where, uh, you know, Deuteronomy says, I will hide my face um, because of all of your evil, right? So... So David is is um, saying to God, please don't hide your face from me. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you do I trust. Now, I really love this um, because David's first priority is to hear from God. Right, His spirit is failing. Now, it's hard for me to come up with a, a, a metaphor, but... The mind is a powerful thing, right, in enabling us to keep going or to not keep going. And when, when, when things are cool in your life, it's easy for, easier for us to face down the trials and the challenges and to keep going. Now, the, the metaphor that I did come up with is, you know, I was having a heap of stress at work. And I came home and I did what I don't often do, and that is I just let go on Kaz. And I just told her all this stuff that's going on and how much stress I'm under and whatever. And Kaz just said to me, feel free to leave. Not the house. <laughs> <laughs> Not the house for the recording. Uh, leave my job. Yes, yes, uh, good point. Good point, Kaz, uh, yes. So uh, a pause at the wrong time there, wasn't it? Um, right, yes. Feel free to leave your job. God will look after us, we'll be right, right? 
Now, in that moment, I just felt so empowered. Like, awesome. If I want, I can chuck in my job, and my wife is right behind me. Kicking me out the door. No, no, she's right behind me. She's right behind me. And, and I felt so strong in that moment, but guess what it actually did? It meant that instead of going back to work the following day and telling my boss where they could put their job, I could actually walk through the trial. Because the home front was fine, was doing fine. Now, this is just mind, right? This is just what's happening in our minds. Now, in a society, only occurred to me this afternoon, in a society where 50% of marriages end in divorce, that's a lot of underground, just churning away stress, right, in our community. That's just there for a whole stack of people just churning away. You throw in a redundancy on top of that, an illness on top of that. You throw in, you know, any kind of a major setback and, wow, you know, that's a, it's a potent mix. So, the spirit failing is, is just, David knows that that's his main, that's his main enemy right here. If his spirit fails, he's stuffed. If his, if his spirit stays strong, then he can face the enemy. He can, he can keep pushing on. But what does David need? He needs to know that he's, relationship is right with God. This is the primary thing for him. He's calling out, cause me to hear your loving kindness, for in you do I trust. Right? Don't hide your face from me. He needs to know his relationship with God is solid. And then, who cares about the circumstances? Is almost his, you know, he doesn't ever pray in here. Please change what I'm going through. Uh, actually, he gets to the end and he says, please deal with my enemies. Uh, he does do that, and I'll explain it if I've got a moment. Um, okay, so we are incredibly fortunate to live on this side of the cross, on this side of history, because we know what Jesus has accomplished for us. Okay, we know our relationship is in God's mighty hand, not in our strength. Right? It's not about our faithfulness, it's about his. Our salvation is about his faithfulness. So when David's saying, please assure me, you know, that you haven't turned your face um, from me, let's read Hebrews 7.23, I'll read it to you. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. That is, the priests who offered the sacrifices die, right? But he, because he continues forever, that is, Jesus, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So his is a permanent priesthood, a permanent sacrifice offered for us, and we, we live in the security of that permanence. It makes a huge difference. So, so I'm going to ask a tricky question. In the light of that, what difference does it make being a Christian? People all through society get depressed. So here we are, we're here to do a Bible study and to learn. But what difference does it make? What difference does our faith make? All the difference in 
the world. Hope. Hope. The definition of depression is called guilty next week. Yeah. Hopelessness. Regina does it too. We have hope. We do. Jesus is there. We do. Yeah. Absolutely. And what I love about it, it's a hope that's based in a real factual history. It's not karma. It's not throwing my hopes out to the universe and just trusting that everything will turn to good. There's no law of the universe that ever says anywhere that everything's going to turn good, right? Um, except for God's promises to us where he assures us that he's working for our good. And we will get to that in further studies. David commits himself to God. Even if God remains quiet, David commits himself to God, which is just absolutely lovely. In you I put my trust. I lift up my soul to you, um, which is really lovely. Um, it ends with talking about his enemies, and I did just want to say that it... Um, ah, sorry, before we get there. Um, from verses 9 and 10, teach me to do your will. Just led me to the thought that here is the king of Israel. Here is the man who um, has a man has a heart after God's own heart. A man after God's own heart. He takes his shelter in God, but he says, "Teach me to do your will." There's probably no one in all of Scripture who knew God's will and knew God's character better than David, other than Jesus Himself. Oh, there's a few heroes of the faith, right? But David profoundly knew God's character. And he says, teach me to do your will. So we just see that he's a saint and a student. But he is teachable, yielding, soft-hearted, humble. Right? He's got a teachable spirit. Now, for many years, thinking about humility before God and before each other, for many years, I thought that my crushedness equaled humility. It doesn't. It doesn't. We can be very proud in our crushedness, right? We can not receive from God in our crushedness. We can not be teachable. We can, we can dig in, you know. Um, depression does not equal humility in the same way that being poor, like financially poor, doesn't equal humility, you know. We make our choices, right? And and I, that fooled me for a lot of years. I thought that I was a pretty humble kind of guy. It's one of those expressions you can't say, isn't it? I'm I'm humble. <laughs> it's one of those things that you just can't say about yourself, right? Um, you're proud of your humility. I am I am proud of my humility, Paul. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So it's one of those things you cannot. <laughs> I've had actually a person tell me that they were very humble and I just giggled. They didn't understand why I was laughing. Um, anyway, uh, depression does not equal humility. Okay, and don't... So you carefully discern for yourself. When you're feeling crushed, that doesn't, ma that doesn't necessarily mean you're, you're soft-hearted and you're ready to receive. You're listening to God and saying, what do you want from me? You could be digging in at the same time as, as being broken. Okay, it's a, it's a weird thing that we can do as people. We can fool ourselves. David finishes, and I, and I point to this because it's just a beautiful, um, working of the, of the Trinity. 
Um, David says, your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. And I just really love this. Does anyone have a, a different version to the New King James? Yeah. Uh, what does it say? Lead me, lead me in the land of... Uh, verse 10. Um, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. On level ground, right? Now, there's just this beautiful working of the spirit. And now, David is exactly right. The spirit is good. Your spirit is good. And Jesus said to his disciples, when I go, he will come. He being the spirit of truth. He will come and he will guide you into all truth. The Spirit of God will guide us into all truth. What does Jesus say about the truth? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right? So we see this action of the Spirit leading to Jesus. And what does Jesus come to do? Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms. I'm going to prepare a way for you. Thomas says to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we just have this beautiful working of the Trinity, of the Spirit leading us to Jesus, who is the truth, and Jesus, who is the truth, leading us to God the Father. It's just a beautiful cycle that we see uh, in our lives, and, uh, and we see it in Scripture. Just really quickly on the last uh, couple of verses there, 11 and 12, um, dealing with God's, uh, with David's enemies, these, these verses are pretty brutal in isolation. You think, well, you know, geez, a man of God, he's asking for his enemies to be wiped out. We see elsewhere in scripture where David is very compassionate towards his enemies, but David is king of Israel. And we see through the history of Israel, that the righteousness of the people closely follows the righteousness of the king. The prosperity of the king is the prosperity of the people. So when David says, deal with my enemies, he's not just saying, life is hard for me, Lord. Just wipe out um, Shimei, who is a torment to me. Wipe him out. He doesn't do, he doesn't do that with Shimei. But he says, God, please deal with my enemies. Because he as king leads the spiritual welfare of the entire nation we do that and i only raise that rather than skipping over it because we do that in our households we do that with our families right when we are oppressed when we are being harassed and overwhelmed that affects the people around us we we know it does right one, one of the one of the lies that comes with that is they would be better off without me that's a lie that we're going to deal with in future, in future weeks. But we know that thought. Our oppression, God is interested in our oppression because he's interested not only in loving you, but he's interested in loving your family. He's interested in loving the people around you. And so he is interested in dealing with the things that oppress you. All right. If you have the time to go back through Psalm 143, you'll see that it is his prayer is rooted in God's character, not in his own. God's faithfulness, <coughs> his righteousness, his grace, his power, his love and kindness, right? 
And these are the things that draw us into God, right? And the reason why we go to him, because he is good. He is all of those things. And, and learning to trust him is really important. We don't always trust him. And so just getting back to our theme that depression is real. It has real causes. We don't always do the right thing. Sometimes we just feel we can't. Okay, I get that. We don't always do the right thing. We don't always do the healthy thing. We do take to drinking and substance abuse and eating to satisfy our flesh, to deal with our anxiety. We do do these things. That's the reality of our frailty. But we see in Scripture that it's possible to have extreme joy at the same time as the worst kind of trials. It's a you'd almost be slapped for for saying it out loud in the world, right? Because it seems so strange that at the worst moments in your life you can actually have joy because God can do that. He he is with us. So we're just going to finish with uh, 1 Peter 1. Uh, if someone could read this for us, that would be fantastic. 1 Peter 1, 3 through to 9. You can read 1 Peter 1, 3 through to 9. Praise to God for a living hope. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. With great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation and the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. <coughs> Peace has come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proven genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. You are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Okay. So we're just making the point here that joy can be found in the midst of trials. We have a living hope through the resurrected Jesus. And in, in my testimony, I just use this, this simple phrase. I, I wish it was found in the Bible because that would make me really sound righteous. But when I was young, I just realized I just had this this sense that if Jesus rose from the tomb, my tomorrow could be better than today. Now, I don't... That gave me amazing hope, right, that Jesus did rise from the dead and therefore my tomorrow can be better than today. And that gave me a lot of hope through through my depression. We, we worship a resurrected Jesus. Um... We have a future in heaven. We, we are going to endure unto the salvation, unto salvation. We can rejoice despite trials. This is a really wonderful passage all on its own. It proves the genuineness of our faith when we go through it with hope. Now, even that to a depressed person makes 
you're further depressed because we don't always exhibit that. I get that, right? And then we go, oh, I'm a lousy Christian. I'm, I'm, my testimony is hopeless and I, you know. But here we all are, right? And all of us are over the age of 18, right? So we've all survived so far, right? We're all, we're all kicking on with our, with our trust and faith in the Lord. And He is working in us. And He is continuing to, to lead our lives. So believing in Him. So this is right at the end of that passage, verse 8. Believing in Him, we can rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Okay. Believing in Him. Now, the, Peter has just said, trials, like being refined by fire. It's not fun. And yet, believing in him, you can have joy inexpressible. Now, this is the promise of God to you. It is available. It is possible. Now, that might not be an easy thing for you and I to just reach out and grab and go, I've got it. But it is God's assurance to you that it's available, right? So when we're feeling hopeless, just know there is a way. There is a way. And it's in that simple word, believing in him. Right? So actually explained really nicely in that whole passage, if you just want to dwell on it. Hope, heaven, resurrected Jesus, future, glory to God, it is all there. So if an inheritance in heaven uh, gives you hope, if rejoicing sounds good, if inexpressible joy sounds like an antidote to depression, trust in him. So in summary for this week, I hope you've seen that depression is real and it has real causes. Right. So let's give compassion to each other. Prolonged stresses create actual changes in our physiology, in our brains, in, in the way our bodies work. It, cha- it actually changes us. So that's going to take some time to undo. I know that's a mixed message to you if you suffer from depression. You want something fast, and I really get that. The good news is, occasionally, God does, does just take away someone's depression in a, in a flash. That came through in some of the surveys. There were people there that just said, someone prayed for me and bang, gone. I'll have some of that, Lord. But, but things take time and God will walk with you through it. That can sound like bad news. right? I, I understand that. But it's actually really good news because there is a path of healing, right? It is there. And if you, if you just treat it as something that you need to chip away at, then, um, then God will, of course, he'll be faithful to you and he'll walk through it and you'll see the years go and you'll look back and say, God, you were faithful all that time. Amazing. So no matter what our circumstances, um, we are able to have joy in the midst of them. So next week, we are going to look at um, uh, the fact that even in the deepest pit, we are not alone. And we're going to be encouraged, encouraged by that.
Oh, thank you. I'm aware that I'm already late, um, as I always am. Um, would somebody like to pray for us and we'll, we'll finish off? Father, may your name be praised. May your name be glorified. You have intimate knowledge of our state. You know us and you love us. You love us outrageously. You love us so much that you let your son die. We bless you, we praise you, we thank you. Thank you that you are our antidote. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your most deliberate way with us that you have. You know our condition in sin. You know the uh, the results of, of sin on our lives. The condition of sin, not, not just sins. You know us. We bless you. We thank you. Thank you for the, uh, the release you can give us eventually. But may your, may your name be glorified. May your will be done. May we honour you. May we please you. May we obey you. Trust our lives to you again and again. Uh, may you use us to your glory this week ahead. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.